How does someone with very little self-confidence and who is also very shy then go on to become a radio and TV presenter, hosting their own live radio show, interviewing royals, Oscar-winning actors and musical superstars, as well as presenting shows in front of thousands of people and eventually moving to another country? My name is Simon Baldock and this podcast is called Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. This is the story of how I conquered my insecurities and went on to have a 35-year career in broadcasting both in the UK and in Spain. You'll hear some of my most memorable interviews, one of which was featured on Radio 4's Pick of the Week, and all the adventures I've had both in the UK and Spain, and the stories behind them. Like the time I delivered half a carcass of beef to Margaret Thatcher at 10 Downing Street, and the time I carried a million pounds worth of diamonds on the tube in an old Sainsbury's bag on the way to a photo shoot with Lord Snowden at the Ritz. This week's episode is a bit of a golf fest, but don't worry if you're not a golf lover, you'll still enjoy these stories from some very interesting and entertaining guests. You'll hear first from the late Timbrook Taylor, who told me about the time he played with Seve Ballesteros in a celebrity pro-am tournament. Then an interview with Peter Alice on how he went from being a professional golfer to become the face and voice of golf on BBC TV. He's followed by two singing legends who, like me, love playing golf, Michael Bolton and Engelbert Humperdinck. And finally, Bernard Gallagher, who gave me a golf lesson when we met at a new driving range. Being a very minor celebrity, I've been invited on occasion to take part in some charity golf matches, which were always great fun and which raised much needed money for worthwhile causes. But TV and radio personality Tim Brooke Taylor, who sadly died from Covid in 2020, used to get over 100 invites every year. And sometimes he also got to play alongside some golfing legends as well. Widely known to the public for his work on BBC Radio with I'm Sorry, I'll Read That Again, Tim Brooke Taylor moved into television with, at last, the 1948 show, working with his old Cambridge mates John Cleese and Graham Chapman. Then, with Graham Garden and Bill Oddy, he starred, of course, in The Goodies from 1970 to 1982, picking up international recognition in Australia, Canada and New Zealand. He also appeared as an actor in various sitcoms and was a panellist on BBC Radio's I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue for almost 50 years. His interest in golf really took a hold when he took part in the pro-celebrity golf television series opposite Bruce Forsyth and appeared in the first episode of the BBC's short-lived golf-based game show Full Swing. He told me why so many celebrities take up the game. I've taken it seriously about 20-odd years. I, by seriously, I mean I've had lessons, I've got my own clubs, um, yes. and I've got a handicap, I suppose, is, is the main thing. Uh, we better ask you, what is the handicap? It's 12.3. It's quite a nice handicap because really good golfers know that you're not rubbish, yes. and people that are, are rubbish know you're not frightening. So it's quite nice for everybody else. Absolutely. Mm. And a lot of people in your profession take up golf. What, why yeah. is that, do you think? Well, I'm, I've often wondered about that. I think partly because, certainly originally, the sort of variety performers used to do summer seasons and they worked, did two shows in the evening and had the days free and quite often by the sea in good courses. So they played. I think also like there's a, a stage golfing society, a lot of actors out of work, unfortunately, 
too long and too often. Yeah. And I think that's that moment, get them out of the pub and get onto the course is a very much better idea. And again, someone in your position, I suppose, gets invited to, to a lot of these celebrity golf matches. Yes, yes. In fact, I worked out last year that I was asked to play in 130. Gee whiz. <laughs> and actually, they're great fun because us so-called celebrities turn up for nothing and uh, the people pay to play with you and and it's usually a very very good cause and it's uh, they've discovered that pro-ams they had to pay the pros so now they've realized celebrity ams are better for the charity and talking of pro-ams you, you must have been involved in a few of those yeah. who, who are some of the the most well-known golfers you know who, who have you played with and thought oh god that's fantastic my hero <laughs> well i think I've played with some really good ones, but the one I really liked most was Seve Ballesteros. He's, he was just one of those people that, you know, you wonder if the charisma is, is as real as the pictures, yes. and it was. I mean, he, the frightening thing, of course, is that uh, I was playing at, at Woburn, this was, and um, there were large crowds. It was the Dunhill Masters, and I didn't know who the pro was going to be. There were two amateurs, me, the co so-called celebrity, and we didn't know. And suddenly a girl ran up and said, we're going to play with Mr. Balistrus. <laughs> <laughs> and I I just didn't know what to do. I felt that sort of strange mixed feelings. You know, that's I want to play with him, but all these crap, mixed feelings, I always just remember, was mixed feelings was seeing your mother-in-law drive a brand-new car over a cliff. <laughs> and that's how I felt. But he was... Was, he was just very, very special, I think. And, yes. um, he, he had that sort of aggression and um, take a risk. And there was a moment when I got quite cocky with him and I said, oh, great shots, have you? And he went, he turned around, no. Tom, he said, not good with names. Hey, no, it's not, it's not great. It's good, but it's not. And you suddenly realize these guys, they're, you know, they're, they're playing at such a high level. They hit a what you'd think would be the best shot in your life. It's just not quite good enough. Yeah. Now, Peter Alice, who also sadly passed away in 2020 at the age of 89, was a professional golfer, television presenter, commentator, author and golf course designer. He was regarded by many as the voice of golf and in 2012 he was inducted into the World Golf Hall of Fame in the Lifetime Achievement category. I spoke to him in early 2000 and he told me how he broke into TV presenting. I, I felt I'd been robbed of victory by a certain Australian called Kel Nagel. I was reciting to my colleagues on the flight back, an Aer Lingus flight from Dublin to London, what had happened. And about, uh, I didn't think anything more about it. And uh, two weeks later, I got a letter from uh, the BBC Manchester, a fellow called Ray Lakeland, who um, was the producer of rugby, cricket, golf in that area. And he said he was listening to me reminiscing and uh, about what had happened that week, and he'd enjoyed what I said. And would I be interested in taking part in the Open Championship the following year at Royal Birkdale, 1961? And I said, well, I'm, f I'm fine, but, uh, you know, I'm playing. And he said, well, if you play in the afternoon, come up in the morning and vice versa. And I did. And I went along and uh, I was fascinated by the whole thing. I mean, not as sophisticated as now, but there seemed to be hundreds of miles of cable, a very crude studio. And the, our Steve Ryder of the day was Cliff Mitchamore. <laughs> and we had uh, Bill Cox, a professional from Fulwell in Essex, and uh, Henry Longhurst, and John Jacobs, and Ben Wright, who now lives in the, in the States. They were the commentary team. And I just joined in and told them that... Uh, the greens were too quick or too slow or whatever, and that was the start of it. And what do you think the secret is of being a good golf commentator? I think you've got to get the people involved. You've got to become friends with them yeah. at the other end of the, uh, on the other end of the line, that's sitting at home. It's almost as if you're there talking with them just on a one-to-one -one basis. I think. 
Engelbert Humperdinck and Michael Bolton are both avid golfers, as I found out when I interviewed them both. Born in 1936, Engelbert Humperdinck has been described as one of the finest middle-of-the-road balladeers around. He achieved international prominence in 1967 with the hit single Release Me. Humperdinck's recordings of Release Me and The Last Waltz both topped the UK singles charts in 1967, selling more than a million copies each. Humperdinck continues to perform, having sold more than 140 million records worldwide. But as he told me when we met, when he needs time off to relax, it's golf that he turns to. I love my golf. Avid golfer. I'm always buying new gadgets off, yes. the, off the television, you know. <laughs> Hopefully that it's going to improve my game. It never does. But no. you know, I mean, I play, I'm not, I play a fair game, but not, uh, I'm not a professional standard. I did beat Tiger Woods once, though. You're joking. Yeah, he was five years old, but I gave him a terrific <laughs> game. <laughs> and you must have played some of the best courses in the world. That's one of the stipulations of, uh, uh, what, uh, of my contracts as I travel around, that they, they make sure that I play on all good courses all over the place, wherever I go. Wow. And it's amazing. You know, they, I, I do. I, like, for instance, I played in a, in, I was in Kuala Lumpur. Not so long ago, and, and I played in a place called Genting, and the, the course was cut out of the jungle. Wow! Oh yeah, you hit a ball in the in in the rough there. You do not go and collect it. <laughs> yeah. I bet yeah. there's not many people walking around with those little nets, you know, collecting all the spare balls. No, no, there's not many people doing not that. out there. And any plans to slow down at all? I should imagine I do 140 concerts a year now, but I think. Maybe next year I'll cut it down to about 100. <laughs> <laughs> Give yourself a bit of a break. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what about holidays? You know, uh, wh wh where was your last holiday? And you know what I do? I, I, I was in, um, whenever I go to foreign countries, I, I have a few days in between where ah. we can see the countries a little bit, you know. Yeah. So those are the kind of holidays I like. But my favorite holidays, of course, are in, in, in Hawaii or in the Caribbean. This year I'll be in, in Korea and Japan and, uh, you know, it's, learning how to say Domo Arigato and Doi Tashimeste and all that business. And do you get the same kick, I, kn I know you're going to say yes, but do you get the same kick, you know, appearing in Las Vegas and then the next week in Southend? I don't mind. Las Vegas is, is exactly the same as playing anywhere in Southend. It was, it's exactly the same. The only thing, it has a reputation of being the capital city of the ent entertainment city of the world, uh, but it's exactly the same. I do the same show and... Uh, um, I get the same kick out of it. Pays a bit more though, doesn't it? Sort <laughs> Michael Bolton originally performed in hard rock and heavy metal bands from the mid-70s to the mid-80s. Bolton's achievements include selling more than 75 million records, recording eight top ten albums and two number one singles on the Billboard charts, as well as winning six American Music Awards and two Grammy Awards. We met in a recording studio when he came to the UK to promote a new album in 2005-ish, but instead of talking about the new record, we somehow got on to golf, which he seemed much happier to be talking about and he told me he took up the game relatively late on in life. Most of my friends started when they were 12 years old. I don't yeah. know if you noticed that when you ask them. Absolutely, it's almost yeah. always 12. It's not yeah. 13, it's not 11 and a half. It's, I started playing when I was 12. Most of the players I, I, I do play with my friends are pretty good golfers. And when I um, 
you know, when my career kicked in, the thought of carving out four or five hours of time to, to hit a little white ball yeah. somewhere r- remotely straight, hopefully, it was an impossibility. There's not that much time. I, I work too much for that. And then I was on vacation, and uh, a friend of mine who's a, a film director, Barry Levinson, was on vacation at the same place. And he, and he was a really interesting person to speak to, a really smart guy and creative and he said we're going next door we're, gonna, we're, we're playing golf do you want to join us and I played every other sport growing up but golf and I said uh, okay and uh, you know it was it was ugly the golf swing was ugly but I started hitting a few crisp ones and I, I got hooked Yeah. I came back to the states all I wanted to do was play golf every day now, good news with my career and this is where the time of your life uh, where maybe all that work does pay off and pay back is that my shows are at night. So when I'm on tour, two years ago, I did 70 shows in four months. I played about 90 rounds of golf. Wow. And you must I, be fairly good then. I got good. Yeah. Okay. My handicap came down in the single digits for Jeez. the first time in, in eight years. But you have to realize that in the eight years I've been playing, I've played as much golf as most people who have been playing since they were 12 because I was on a mission to catch up. Um, and I had access you know, uh, you know, touring. I had I got to play with some great pros who yeah. just chipped away, taught me, you know, how to how to work in my game. And I, golf has been a calming factor for me. Although at moments, uh, you know, we've used many of the uh, the words you hear a lot out on the golf course. Uh, in general, uh, it, this is kind of a zen to it to me, and uh, it's um, it, it's it quiets me. But I can do that. And and what I'm thinking is that I'd love to be able to play play around the golf, go home, go into the studio work till my usual three or four in the morning and um, let it go when I go out on the golf course because you can't really think about anything when you're out there. Michael Bolton. Now, when I was a radio presenter, I was very happy when I was able to combine my job with my favourite sport. One of the ways I did this was by presenting a whole three-hour show whilst playing a round of golf. It was quite a technical feat, especially 20 years or so ago. I remember we set up a mobile unit on a golf buggy. We had erected a huge aerial on it, which relayed a signal to another box of tricks in the clubhouse, which in turn sent the signal back to the radio studio. And it worked pretty well. I don't think anyone else has played golf and presented a radio show at the same time. If you know different, please do let me know. I also did another golf-related feature called the Fantasy Golf Course. I went to 18 different golf courses and played their signature hole with their resident professional. It was a great way to play 18 great golf courses and get 18 golf lessons at the same time. But the best golf lesson I ever got was when I interviewed Bernard Gallagher, who played in eight Ryder Cup matches, captained the European team in 1991, 93 and 95 and won 22 professional tournaments. We met when he opened a new driving range in Essex, and he was very gracious, and during and after the interview, let me use his clubs to give me a few much-needed pointers to improve my game. Oh, yeah, I mean, just swinging. Swinging's really good for your game, but I think you've got to practice properly. I think one of the mistakes that people make is that they come to a driving range and try and hit the ball as far as they can all the time. Yeah. They just pull out the driver straight away and go straight into it. And that is really the first mistake. If you ever go to a pros tournament, even Tiger Woods and Greg Normans and Davis Love and Nick Faldo, they all start with a little wedge. And that's why these targets are only 50 yards and then 100 yards and 150. And so the idea would be to 
start with a short iron and build up and build up and build up to a big one. Otherwise, if you start with a driver, you you lose your rhythm right away and you're you're not warmed up. It can become quite demoralising. So, I think I think it's good to, if you if you use the driving range properly. There's no reason why it shouldn't improve your game altogether. And um, yourself, what are you doing nowadays? Um, well, I play on the seniors too, and I do a few golf days, and I've got a few business interests here and there, and uh, I've got enough to do. <laughs> it's not a bad life, is it? No, I would always like to play a little bit better, though, because I've just come back from Barbados this morning. <laughs> from yeah, But playing on two seniors event, I didn't really play that well, so I've come back with my tail between my legs, and I need to practice a little bit more. All right. Well, I'll never get this opportunity again. Um, could you just give me a, a bit of advice on my swing? Because I haven't played for about a year. We'll let you use my clubs. Oh, brilliant. As long you. as you don't break them. No, 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 no. Well. And we're going to start with a, like a pitching wedge. That's it. Yeah, we'll, we'll run through the basics. You know, like if you hit a few balls first, I'll check your grip. Then I'll check your aim. And I'll check your stance. And I'll check that your posture's right. Those are really the, the, the four basics in golf. So he's putting his left hand on first, that's good. His left hand looks okay, two knuckles to the left hand, right. So have a practice swing first, have a few practice swings. Hit the ground with your practice swing, that's it. Hit the mat so that you reach the ground, that's it. That's good. Now just stand up a little bit taller so your posture is a bit better. That's good. Your grip's not too bad. The ball's in the middle of your stance, which is good for a pitching wedge. Keep your, keep your head steady. There you go, lovely. But that, that was excellent. That's good. So you started with a wedge, and then you would want to build up to it. Very good. I'm about the right age to join the seniors tour. Oh, okay. What do you think? Any chance? I think you'd probably be able to beat me at the moment, but uh, <laughs> you wouldn't beat the rest of the field. <laughs> Bernard Gallagher, thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Bernard Gallagher there. Now, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Next time, we're going to go all foodie, when I'll be looking back at my very short-lived cookery career hearing interviews with Delia Smith and the late Keith Floyd, and I'll be dropping into a cooking club at a junior school and helping them to make brioche. And it gets very messy. What do you have to do with the eggs? Do they just go in whole like that? No. No? You crack them. You crack them. Do you crack them? Yeah. Oh. The yolk and the white comes out. I didn't know that. I thought you just put them in whole. No wonder mine's been crunchy all these years. Oh, here we go. Have you cracked an egg before? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go on, show me how to do it then. Well done. One handed. <laughs> That's next week in Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity.